Support for this episode of This Changes Everything is provided by Primera Blue Cross. So I'm at home. I was about to say I, I come home, but I don't come home anymore. I'm just home <laughs> yeah, all right. the time. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sitting on my couch uh, working. This is Mark Baumgarten. He's the managing editor at Crosscut and the story editor for this podcast. And he had a unique experience recently. And uh, my wife goes out and gets the mail and she comes in and she has this really worried look on her face. And I'm like, oh, no, what happened? She shows me this letter and she goes, this letter looks weird. Uh, can you open it? I don't want to open it. And, um, you know, these are weird times and it's not like there's like any particular mail threat right now. But um, but it did look a little strange. I mean, it's I've got it right here. It, it, it's a business envelope. It's uh, addressed to resident and the the handwriting is a bit of a scrawl and it's uh you know clearly somebody wrote this to us but doesn't know who we are <laughs> so uh okay so i opened it up and um let's see here it says hello my name is daniel today i am writing to you my neighbor as one of jehovah's witnesses i have not been able to speak to you personally but with this coronavirus pandemic we all know we need to stay in This is what I am trying to do. But during this time, I wanted to contact you with some very important information to look at, jw.org. It has so much encouraging information to look at, Bible-based information for family, individuals, teens, children. I engage in this activity because I genuinely care about my neighbors. This work is not commercial. It is my hope that someday soon I will be able to talk to you personally. Feel free to get in touch with me at the above address. The the thing about Jehovah's Witnesses that that I've always sort of the the reason why I don't get frustrated when people come to my door uh, in that way is because I like I would otherwise not have ever met these people right mm. and I, for the most part it's like a thirty second interaction. Um, and I wish them well, and they wish me well. Um, but it's this sort of chance encounter where if you approach it in a, a sort of a positive light, it's just a good opportunity to just be nice to someone else. Mm. Um, and uh, and it's nice to get a letter, you know? <laughs> Nobody sends me letters, but, <laughs> but right. Daniel did. Daniel sent me a letter. <laughs> So regardless of whether you, like Mark, appreciate getting a letter like this, it's worth noting that this has never happened before. The decision by the Jehovah's Witnesses to stop going door-to-door for public health reasons, handed down by the group's leadership in late March, is actually the first decision of its kind in the entire history of the religion, a religion that really almost defines itself on this kind of ministry. A Jehovah's Witness spokesman told the New York Times, for instance, our ministry is our life. And Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, aren't the only ones making these kinds of decisions. One of the um, major topics of discussion in in religion right now with regard to coronavirus is this idea of like, how many changes should a faith community accept and how adaptable should they be because of public health concerns versus putting that religion or that faith first? 
This is Lily Fowler, a CrossCut staff reporter who's covered religion a lot in her career. It's just something that I've always been interested in. I have a master's in theology. And she recently published a piece on CrossCut about the impacts the coronavirus is having on Catholic traditions. It's pretty fascinating to talk to people about the, the, the changes that they're having to make that, that are so significant to their faith. One question now really becomes, what happens to faith when it's defined by certain practices? And those practices have to change. Right now, for instance, it's springtime, the season of some of the most important holidays of the year for the world's major religions, Passover, Ramadan, and Easter. And celebrating those holidays usually includes some kind of gathering in person. But not this year. Health officials have warned against any kind of gathering. Religious services are no exception. Just like schools and businesses of all kinds, churches have closed. Mosques have closed. Synagogues and temples have closed. Some congregations are having services outside instead, or in their cars. It's what we call a drive-up worship beyond the walls experience. And it's a substitute um, for our normal worship services as we're journeying through this coronavirus uh, together. Some people held a Passover Seder over video conference. The Freedmen's are holding a Zoom Seder tonight. Breaking the tradition this year is really hard. Or attended Easter Sunday services online. The holiest weekend on the Christian calendar began with services live-streamed or broadcast to congregants watching from their living rooms. The Archbishop of Canterbury, as you've never seen him before. Justin Welby broadcast the Easter Sunday service from his kitchen using an iPad and the dining room table as an impromptu altar. And some people, well, they don't want to change. Now, despite an order from the governor and pleas from health experts not to gather in groups, a Brighton pastor says he will be holding in-person worship service this Sunday. A pastor in Hemfield Township is facing heavy criticism after deciding to ignore advice from officials. You're not worried about the virus? No, I'm not. I have no reason to be. And you you guys won't get the virus because of your beliefs? No, I won't get the virus because Jesus says I'm not. If you got God inside of you, you have nothing to worry about. You're good. I'm Sarah Bernard, and this is This Changes Everything, a podcast from CrossCut about the new normal. And that new normal for a lot of people includes new ways of practicing their faith, new ways of finding community or finding solace in a crisis, and perhaps even new ways of looking at faith itself. For this episode, I asked CrossCut staff reporter Lily Fowler about all these changes and adaptations. About, for example, what it feels like for priests to find themselves on the front lines of a pandemic. But then, another question. What happens when government has a very real imperative to limit one of this country's most cherished principles, the freedom of religion? Stay with us. So as Lily mentioned, she has a master's in theology. Before I went to journalism school, I got my master's for that. I got another useless degree, which was theology. And uh, <laughs> awesome. So journalism oh. is actually supposed to be my practical degree and the money-making oh. one. It hasn't quite turned out that way. but. And for a while, her journalistic work focused entirely on religion. At the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, for example, and also at a wire service called Religion News Service. I studied the history of uh, religious communities, specifically early Christianity. And so... It's just, a, it's, it's been a weird, like, nerdy interest of mine always. So anytime I get a chance to do a religion story, I jump on it. 
it's kind of interesting because when I moved out here, I knew that the Pacific Northwest has a kind of reputation for being pretty secular um, when compared to other parts of the country. But I think that uh, there's also a good portion of the population here that are just probably more quiet about their faith. And so I kind of like searching for uh, the stories that maybe people aren't being loud about, but just whispering about. And she covers all faiths and is interested in all faiths. But Catholicism is one that she knows personally. Catholic faith is probably the easiest for me to write about because I did grow up Catholic and I grew up I grew up on the border of U.S.-Mexico. And so um, it was very kind of strong, passionate strain of uh, Catholicism. And so recently she ended up talking to a couple of Catholic priests in the Seattle area about the changes in their lives and practices after the onset of the coronavirus outbreak. One is named Father Todd Strange, and he's a priest who lives on the grounds at a Catholic church in Issaquah. And was obviously not holding mass anymore, but communicating with his parishioners via email. He said they had kind of a team of volunteers who were helping some of the more elderly parishioners out, so say grocery shopping for them or getting medications when they needed it. And that's kind of what he could do. I mean, he did say the church was still open. They wanted to keep it open just so that people would have this kind of space to go to if they needed it. But that meant having somebody on staff all the time to clean anytime anybody came in. So they had somebody doing that. I think he helped with that as well. And one of the things priests usually do from time to time is visit people who are sick or dying to perform what are called last rites, which involve prayers and ritualized ceremonies, such as the anointing of the sick, a process that includes holy oil and other physical objects. But that's changed too. Priests are actually seeing a decline in folks who are sick from the virus calling them because hospitals and medical facilities have been so strict about who they let in. So say, for example, uh, Swedish, they told me they can't get in at all anymore. Mm -hmm. But if they do, I guess that would be an in-person experience and that would be something where they reach out and touch someone. Right, right. And that's, that's the other big shift priests are having to make is they're having to um, tweak some of these rites. Which means a lot of things, including what sometimes has to happen after a priest visits a parishioner. He was actually in quarantine when I was talking to him, so there was oh. no way we were going to do that in person. He had just seen the two women, two women with uh, coronavirus at actually three, three, three people at a nursing home with coronavirus. And one had just passed away before he arrived. I was told that, you know, an hour and a half should be plenty of time, but it turned out not to be. This is Father Strange. Lily recorded this interview over the phone. So you'll hear some typing sounds as she took notes. So by the time I got there, the, the one who was dying had died maybe 15 or 20 minutes earlier. It was twins. It was two sisters who had coronavirus. Or actually, one only suspected of having coronavirus, and the other one confirmed. The one who was only suspected of having coronavirus, she was the one who had passed away, which surprised him. But I was asked to go to the room anyway, where both of these sisters were. And they provided me a gown, gloves, and, and, and mask. Usually the priest would touch the person with their hands to perform the sacrament. And he was not able to do that. He had to put on gloves. He had to put on 
uh, you know, a mask and, a, and, and the gown. And, and so I went in to bless the body of the deceased sister. And usually the, the oil that they use for the sacrament, they would put in a kind of like a little canister, like a steel canister, and couldn't even take that into the nursing home. So instead he had a little Ziploc bag with oil in it and a Q-tip. Instead of, you know, instead of using his hand, he dipped the Q-tip in the oil and then used that to put the oil on her forehead and um, uh, around her hands. And, uh, and we said prayers and I was in very close proximity within two feet. And part of the rite of anointing involves praying together the Our Father. And it was at that time that her, her hands were on mine. Again, they were gloved. And so, yeah, those are the, the changes they're having to make. And all that might seem small, but for Catholics, it really is a big deal to change up these sacred ceremonies. They're about life and death and the afterlife, and for people who believe that physical presence and those physical ceremonies are vital. Because anointing usually has to be flesh to flesh, so I can't have gloves on. This is Reverend Brian Hersey, another local priest who Lily spoke with, who's one of the on-call priests right now for Seattle-area hospitals. The ones still allowing visitors, anyway. But in the case of COVID and pandemic and all, you know, with these considerations, USCCB has made it clear that anointing with the glove on is acceptable and valid. Quick definition, the USCCB is the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, a body that helps organize and unify Catholics in this country. So I said, that's made a huge difference to my comfort level in going into a, into a patient's room who's a confirmed COVID case. So priests have different ways of performing ceremonies now. And just performing these ceremonies suddenly has the potential to be life-threatening. Priests who are working directly with patients are putting themselves at risk. The New York Times reported recently something like 100 priests who have died in Italy from um, the virus, which is astonishing. But for some people of faith, that kind of thing doesn't matter so much. Both priests said when I when I asked them, I mean, you know, do you feel fearful? Is this something that you're happy to be doing? You know, if you get called again, will you go again? Both of them said yes, absolutely. I mean, they take the precautions that they can, but they feel like they can't not answer the call. We'll get back to my conversation with Lily in just a minute. But first, a message from our sponsor, Primera Blue Cross. Primera Blue Cross was founded in Washington State. With offices in the Puget Sound area and Spokane, they know the profound impact the COVID-19 outbreak has had and will continue to have on our local communities. They joined the region's major employers who made the early decision to send employees home and help protect vulnerable family members, friends, and neighbors. The Primera team is in your corner and doing what they can to help during this health crisis. That includes covering COVID-19 tests and related office visits without out-of-pocket costs for most plan members. And they're working with the federal government toward free testing for all, regardless of health coverage. Primera has expanded virtual care options too, so people in Washington can get their symptoms checked by a doctor without leaving their home or receive ongoing care, like mental health therapy. Primera is offering early prescription refills to make sure members have the medications they need at the ready. Mail order and 90-day refills are also available. Ask your pharmacist if you want to know more about your options. 
Primera continues to actively monitor the situation to find more ways they can help to stop the spread of COVID-19 and get treatment to those affected. Learn more about how your care is covered at Primera.com. So for people who rely on religious ceremony, like Catholics, these times are really hard. As priests put on gloves and masks and bring Ziploc baggies of oil to parishioners who are sick, other members of the church can't go to Mass and be part of the Eucharist, a ceremony involving communal bread and wine that's actually a crucial part of a Mass. I mean, a Mass, the definition of a Mass for, for Catholics is actually having the Eucharist. It's not a, It's not a Mass otherwise, which is why they can't just say, oh, we'll skip the Eucharist for this Mass, because then it wouldn't even be a Mass. So... You know, instead they they make the switch to, okay, we're going to have to do it spiritually instead of having anything there physically. So that's tough for some Catholics. It's a big shift. And of course, there are plenty of other people of faith who are making the changes they have to make right now, even if it's difficult. The most common thing that people are doing, obviously, is having services via Zoom. So we have the usual Seder set up, which is everything for the Seder play. During Passover, I saw a lot of folks... Uh, posting about that in social media. But then we also have the Zoom set up. We have um, Ramadan is coming up. Muslims in the U.S. and around the world are facing a very different Ramadan celebration this year with the start of the holy month coming during a pandemic. And the fasting that folks are going to have to do or if they choose to do it during Ramadan. I mean, that's traditionally how people observe Ramadan is by fasting um, from sunrise to sundown. So imagine that's going to be tough on a lot of Muslims, um, I mean, fasting in isolation without the community uh, that they're used to being around. For the first time in Islam's 1,400-year history, the religion's two holiest cities are closed to the public during Ramadan. I think most people of faith understand the severity of this pandemic and are more than willing to make those kinds of changes, but there's always going to be a minority who, who don't feel that way. Yeah. For example, I've noticed that there are some communities that are um, kind of defying the rules. Worshippers shoulder to shoulder, not following social distancing. Where people go ahead and have a service anyway. And then in some cases, people say that they believe so strongly in what they believe that they they don't they aren't afraid. Virus faith don't fear. I don't have fear. I have faith. It it just sort of brings up the idea that ultimately that faith is very hard to legislate, right? <laughs> no, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, so people's faith, you know, uh, carries them through a lot in life. And so right now, during this pandemic, there are some people saying, well, no, I'm not afraid. I've, I've got faith in God that whatever is meant to be, is meant, you know, is meant to be. And, and, you know, but we've already seen headlines about pastors preaching that sort of thing and then either getting sick or... There's this one pastor who just died, uh, a pastor in Virginia. A pastor who promised to keep preaching through the pandemic, quote, unless I'm in jail or the hospital, has now died from the coronavirus. And uh, he was the one preaching that, you know, and then he, he got sick and passed away, unfortunately. And so you got to wonder, you know, what do... Uh, um, the folks at his church think now after that happening, you know, some of them probably will still say like, well, if that happened, then that was, you know, God's will and we're supposed to accept it. 
I mentioned Virginia and Virginia too. There's um, this evangelical university, Liberty University, and they really delayed transferring their classes online. Lynchburg's mayor, Trené Tweedy, issued a statement Monday calling the university's decision to keep its campus open reckless. And there's been a cluster of corona coronavirus cases since then. There was a student that lived off campus that got sick, and now there's, I think, dozens of people in the area who have gotten sick. And so there's a lawsuit filed against the university. Another big emerging story today, Liberty University is once again facing backlash for how it handled the coronavirus outbreak, and it could all unfold now in a federal courtroom. But again, another example of maybe a religious leader saying, you know, well, no, we're just going to go ahead and do our, our, our own thing and not necessarily uh, listen to the uh, public health warnings. The lawsuit against Liberty University for not heeding those public health warnings is a class action suit filed by a Liberty University student. Adam Levitt is one of the three attorneys representing a Liberty University student who chose not to go back to campus during the COVID-19 outbreak. And it's just one of many lawsuits that have been filed already regarding religion and coronavirus. But unlike the Liberty suit, the vast majority of the plaintiffs here are religious institutions, usually churches demanding exemptions to the stay-at-home rules. There's been, you know, lawsuits all over the country filed over lack of religious exceptions for, say, holding um, services and that sort of thing, because some pastors, Christian pastors, see it differently and think that their religious liberty is being trampled on. And we don't believe the governor's order is legal because both the federal constitution and the state constitution protect our right of free exercise and our right to peacefully assemble for that purpose. That's a whole debate that's going on right now. In fact, that debate has come to Washington state now, too. Joshua Freed, a Republican candidate for governor, filed a lawsuit on April 22nd, challenging Governor Inslee's stay-at-home order on the grounds that it violates the First Amendment of the Constitution, which protects the freedom of religion. During this period of high anxiety, people are looking to their religious leaders. Maybe it's an imam for a Muslim or a rabbi for somebody who is Jewish or a priest for somebody who might be Catholic or a, a pastor who somebody might be a Protestant. And so what I've challenged is that our First Amendment rights are being stolen and violated during this period of time under Jay Inslee's stay-at-home order. And there are a lot of others. Lawyers from the Center for Religious Expression filed a lawsuit in federal court Friday. Two Kansas churches have now sued Governor Laura Kelly. An Albuquerque megachurch asking them to halt the state's health order. Now five people are suing the governor. They say it violates their constitutional rights to the free exercise of religion, freedom of speech, right to assemble, and due process. Some of those lawsuits have already been ruled on. A judge in Virginia, for instance, denied the request for a religious exemption to the state's stay-at-home order. But a judge in Kansas just ruled in favor of two Baptist churches who'd filed suit. Federal judge has ruled against an executive order banning large in-person religious services, putting a temporary hold on the government. Now, this is a pretty thorny place to be during a pandemic. There are some exceptions to the stay-at-home rules being made around the country that satisfy some people. Like drive-in religious services, where people sit in their cars and listen to a sermon from there. Yes, that's Pastor John on the roof of Gateway Church. This. this is crazy! Blaring through the hundreds of car radio speakers below him. 
or drive through confessions, where priests will sit six feet from a line of vehicles as they roll up one by one. Father Eisen says the sacrament of penance was one he could take outside. Um, so people are being pretty creative about it. But uh, even then, I think, as you said, there's this kind of tension between uh, churches that aren't used to being regulated. And the, um, now all of a sudden, you know, this pandemic has kind of thrown the um, old uh, rules out the window. In this country, at least, we live in a very litigious as well as religious society. So I imagine we're going to see a lot more lawsuits before this is all over, especially if it takes a long, long time to be over. And it is hard. This is a crisis. People are dying. And religious faith is the way that millions of Americans and billions of people around the world make sense of death. It's how they cope. So I can imagine it's just so hard to say, okay, this thing that I have relied on for community and friendship, for solace in a crisis, you know, I can't do those things. Definitely. I mean, I've I've heard people even say, you know, I disagree with certain things that the church is doing, certain tenets that they have that it has, but I remain part of the church because it's just such a big part of my life and my community. Like that's my friends and family. When I look to where they are, it's with the church. And so leaving the church would mean leaving them. So I think for a lot of people, it is a huge part of their social network. And that might be even the primary reason why they're um, part of it. So you have to wonder whether or not, you know, on the one, <laughs> on the one hand, you think that Maybe something as um, serious as a pandemic might lead a lot of people to think about death and the meaning of life and, you know, what are we really here for and maybe turn religious that way. On the other hand, a pandemic might isolate folks to such an extent that maybe they realize, well, this church that I was hanging on to or this community I was hanging on to It's not part of my life anymore, so maybe it's time to let it go. It'll be interesting to see when and if we come out of this in some way, or at least when things have improved, to see where people are at, whether we'll see a rise in, say, the number of people who are you know, going to services or or members of a church. I mean, that's been in decline for many years now. That's typically been the headline, either in decline or maybe no big shift. And so it'll be interesting to see whether we see one after, after we're not in such bad shape. Yeah, who knows? It could really go either way, it seems. And that's neither good nor bad. It's just another unknown in these crazy times. But Lily says she sees another potential shift, one that stretches beyond religion and into larger questions of how we live in society together, regardless of our beliefs. One thing that I think a lot of people have been talking about, not just in the faith community, but in wider circles, which maybe could be the best case scenario for us having after going through this, is this emphasis on, you know, a lot of what the faith community focuses on is... Uh, taking care of the 
of those who have least in society and the vulnerable. And it might be one of the more positive outcomes of, of the pandemic. Thanks for listening to This Changes Everything. This episode was produced by me, Sarah Bernard, and the story editor was Mark Baumgarten. Engineering assistance from Resty Bacall. Our cover art is by Greg Cohen. Thanks so much this week to Lily Fowler, who's been reporting on immigration and race and faith and so many other things. Read all of her work at crosscut.com. And you can read all of the Crosscut Newsroom's coverage of the coronavirus at crosscut.com slash coronavirus. You can subscribe to This Changes Everything on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and Google Play. Spotify access is coming soon. And if you like the show, please do leave that review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. For more on This Changes Everything and other Crosscut podcasts, go to crosscut.com slash podcasts. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. This Changes Everything is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode.